Father, uh, give us ears to hear today. Our receptive spirits to your truth, to what you've revealed to us in the scriptures. Give us uh, wisdom from above. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to work in each of us and, uh, and in the midst of all of us together to work your will, which always blesses, and work in us which is, that which is pleasing in your sight. Help me to teach rightly and well. Give everyone here discernment to... Um, Hold on to what is good, and we, uh, we ask you to bless now as we open your word together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Do you ever tell yourself, if I, o- if, if I only would have known, <laughs> if I would have known, I would have. You ever say, you know, you, you fill in the particulars, you know, but you ever, say, you ever tell yourself that? If, I'd have only, if I would have known, I would have. You know, if I'd have known how great East Tennessee was, we would have moved here a lot sooner. You know, or or uh, you hear this a lot. You know, if we'd have known how great grandkids were, we'd have had them first, right? We, my 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 dad, my dad, when he was losing his eyesight, I, I just thought of this when we were just a few minutes ago. When my dad had macular degeneration, he had lost his eyesight, and he discovered audio books. You know, he couldn't read. He couldn't read anymore. And he said, if I'd have known how great audiobooks were, I wouldn't have learned to read. <laughs> At our house over the years, um, I've spent hours and hours and hours, just over the years, various projects in the house, uh, nailing uh, uh, baseboards, you know, putting baseboards, maybe replacing the baseboards, or window trim, or door trim, or you know, crown molding or chair rail, you know, these projects, right? And, I've, and in, in doing those things, I've, I've, I've done, I did them by hand. And, and I, you know, put the, the brad or the little finish nail up and, you know, tap it in like this with a hammer, sometimes hitting the nail, sometimes with my fingers, and, you know, and, and tap it in there uh, flush, try to get it flush. But then, you know, a lot of times you'd hit it a little too hard and you'd knock a dent into the, wood with the hammer and then uh, and then I'd uh, go back and get the nail set you know these little little nail punch things and put it on the head of the finished nail and tap it in a little bit below the surface and so you could go back in and and cover it over with uh, you know with wood putty or you know with plastic wood or something like that and sand it down so you can get it ready to paint well not long ago uh, my brother came over and helped me trim out. We, we put sheetrock in our den and helped, helped me trim out. Or, uh, well, immediately, really, I was helping him, not he was helping me, but, but uh, uh, put up the baseboards, you know, trim out the, trim out the room after sheetrock. And he brought his uh, pneumatic uh, brad nailer and nail gun. And, wow, you know, it's like you put it up there and it's just pop, 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 and it's done and it's, it's finished, you know, it's almost finished. You have to cover it over, but it's finished. I, was, I said, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, hours and hours I've spent doing that. I said, how much those things cost? Is that all? Are you, you know, $25 I could have at Home Depot? And it, oh, my goodness. If I'd have only known. 
If I'd have known, I'd have bought one of those. I'd have bought some of those a long time ago. Uh, that's how I see uh, the usefulness of this study we've been in the last few weeks. Revelation chapter 21. For the most part, we've for the most part we've been in there. Uh, it, it, that's how I see it. You know, you study this, and it's if I had only known. And, and Re- Revelation 21, it's about the new heavens and the new earth. It's about the forever part of the future. The forever part. What's forever? You know, what does the Bible say is coming? You know, when we get to the forever part, what's that going to be? Well, that's Revelation 21 and 22. It's like, if I had only known, I would have... Uh, you know, I wouldn't have held on so desperately, so tightly to this world. If I'd only known, I'd have, built, I'd have laid up more treasures in heaven. If I'd only known. You know, I'd have had less bucket list and more laying up treasures in heaven. If I'd only known, if I'd only known, I would have endured the suffering of this present time with much more patience. Much more grace. Much more joy even. In other words, if I'd have known what was coming, it would have changed the way I live now. That's, that's how I see this. And why are, why are we doing it? You know, what's the usefulness of it to you? Uh, some people give the impression that the Bible does not have much to say about the eternal state. I don't know if you, how much you've studied or read, but really, some teachers, preachers, commentators, you know, they give the impression that the Bible really doesn't have much to say about the, what, what theologians call the eternal state. And what I've been calling, rather than say the eternal state, uh, the, uh, uh, the forever future. I've, been, I've kind of been trying to refer to it as the forever future. And it seems ironic to me that some of the same people who seem to know almost everything about things that are coming, like the Great Tribulation, uh, the timing of the rapture of the church in relation to the Tribulation, is it before, is it after, is it in the middle, uh, the, um, the Millennial Kingdom, the identity of Antichrist, you know, go on and on and on. They seem to know everything about everything about the future. And then some of the same people, I've heard, I've heard this myself, you know, from uh, even in seminary. Say, some of the same people to get to the end say, well, what comes then? You know, you got this big timeline of chart and it's all kinds of arrows and, uh, arrows and things on it. And you get to the end and there's an inverted parenthesis and it says new heavens and new earth. And there's nothing there, just new heavens and new earth. And, and the teachers say something like, well, God, it really hasn't revealed uh, much about the eternal state, uh, the part, you know, which is only the part of the future that lasts forever. Right? God doesn't say much about that. Uh, but, you, you know, probably because if he did, we couldn't even fathom it. We couldn't grasp it. But don't worry, it'll be great. You know, it'll be great. Don't worry. And sometimes to illustrate the utter unknowability of the eternal state or the forever future, they'll quote this verse, 1 Corinthians 2. That's the first one I've got. Do we have a... Yes. They'll quote this verse. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, 
nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And that verse is quoted with the, to imply that what God has for us in the forever future is utterly unknowable. You know, it has, it is, nobody's seen it, nobody's heard it. The heart of man cannot even imagine it. It's just beyond our ability uh, to imagine. That's why God hasn't told us much about it. I don't think that's true. I believe that verse is true, but keep reading. What's the next verse say? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll fill it in. What, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What's the next verse? These things God has revealed. It's not these things you couldn't, you, you know, God has not revealed. These things God has revealed to us through through the Spirit. God has not been silent about the forever future. Now, biblical predictive prophecy, just like all, just like all prophecy, you can take that down now, just like all uh, unfulfilled prophecy, it's always better understood in hindsight than before its fulfillment. Isn't that right? You know more about how the Old Testament scriptures, you know, were fulfilled in the first advent of Jesus. You know, that, you know, you know more about that because of where you live in history than Isaiah did. Isaiah wondered about some of the things you know about. Because this, you know, this biblical predictive prophecy is always better understood in hindsight than before, the, than before the fact. And so in that way, yes, whatever God has revealed to us about the eternal state, about the forever future, it's not here yet, right? It's going to fit in that category. Uh, but that doesn't mean he hasn't told us anything. It doesn't mean we're in the dark about it. Revelation 21 and 22, last two chapters of the Bible, are about the forever future, and that's clear from the broader context. The return of Christ to the earth, Revelation 19. The millennial reign of Christ on the earth, first part of Revelation 20, millennial kingdom. The uh, great, what, what, what we call great white throne judgment, because that's what is, because of the language of, of uh, the, that chapter. It's the second part of that same chapter, Revelation chapter 20. So when we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we're talking about what comes after all of that. What comes after? And what, is, what does come after that? It's just the forever future, that's all. It's just what is going to be forever and ever. Now, I set out a few weeks ago to, to trace uh, three themes uh, in, in the passage. Revelation 21, uh, 1 through 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and these three themes are like three features, three conditions that are going to characterize the forever future. And and we're we're gonna, we're advancing the ball today, but just to just to review a little, the first theme, the first characteristic, first feature, is justice. The new heavens and the new earth will be characterized by justice in all human relationships, from the personal and the individual. To the, to the big things, to the, the racial, the 
international, the geopolitical. You know, the international. You think, well, international. Someone might say international because your conception of what's coming forever and ever. International? What do you mean? Na- there won't be there won't be nations. There won't. Are you really? Are you sure about that? Revelation twenty one twenty four speaks of the nations walking in the light of the city of God, the New Jerusalem. It, it speaks of the kings of the earth bringing their uh, offerings to it. Uh, Revelation 22 speaks of the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. You remember what they're for? For the healing of the nations. Well, uh, well just think about it. So there are, there are people in the forever future... There are people, uh, there's a city, there are families, there are nations, and in all of those human relationships, uh, there will be justice. How different than the world we live in, which, if nothing else, is brimming with grievances, right? Right? <laughs> both real and imagined. 2 Peter 3, you can put up 2 Peter 3, says, but according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We could say in which righteousness is at home, you know, uh, in, in which where justice prevails all the time. In the world we live in now, the way it is, righteousness and justice are not at home. In fact, they don't fit. It's not how things work. They're actually, justice is actually out of place in, our, in the world system. We aspire to it. We hope for it. But let's face it, justice, righteousness, is not how things work. What, what's, the, what are the, what's the real driver in human society? No, no matter where you go, anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, any, across history, what's the, what are the drivers? It's not justice. What is it? Power, advantage, usually comes down to money, which is just power and advantage. But not justice. But in the new heavens and the new earth, all of human society is going to be characterized by justice. We'll move on. But why? King Jesus. King Jesus will be King of kings, Lord of lords, reigning over all in God's kingdom. God's, really, this is the answer to, uh, the, answer to the, the prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to be done. All evil people, all evil persons, say, both angelic and human, are, have been confined to eternal judgment. That's previous chapter in Revelation. All citizens of God's kingdom, they have been transformed into perfect Christ-likeness of character. And so leaving us with kind of a social environment in which justice is not only possible, it, it's, it's, it's natural. So that's, that's one thing. You know, the new heavens, new earth. That's the first theme. It's going to be characterized by justice. 
righteousness. Second theme, and I, we began this last week, last Sunday. Second theme, renewal. Renewal. Uh, last week, I concentrated, and I'm going to kind of restate it today because it's, it, it folds together with where we're going to go today. Last week, we concentrated on the physical renewal of the bodies of the redeemed in the forever future. New heavens and new earth. Uh, in the resurrection, as Jesus calls it, Jesus calls it, in the resurrection. He's talking about uh, forever future. Our bodies, this says, Revelation 21, will experience no pain, no pain, no sickness, no gradual decline of aging, no disease, no death. And the resurrection body is more than the restoration of the body, and that's why we chose the word renewal, because the body, you know, because why? Because it's the body made new by the power of Christ. And it's a, it's a body that when it's renewed, it's not just restored to what it was before, it's better than it ever was. Better than it ever was. Better than it was when you were 15 or 20 or 25, whatever your, 30, whatever your peak was, whenever you were at your peak. Better than that. Bible says the blind will see, the deaf will hear, Right? The lame will leap like a deer. And remember, when he writes that, many of the blind, the deaf, the lame, have been blind and deaf and lame since they were born. Right? Right? Jesus even healed some of those, right? He was blind from his birth. Even the resurrected body of the sinless Jesus and think, we won't look this up in the Gospels, but think about this, and if you're familiar, you know, you know this is so. Even the resurrected body of the sinless Jesus has characteristics that it did not have before the resurrection. Isn't that right? I mean, we, on the one hand, we see the Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he, see, he eats, he drinks, he can be touched, And held, we see the resurrected Jesus walking on the road with some of the, you know, these followers of the road to Emmaus, right? Speaking with them, conversing with them. They don't think it's a phantom or a ghost. You know, they, it's just, it, it's, on the one hand, you, you see that. We see, uh, we see that on the one hand, but then on the other hand, we see a resurrected Jesus who is, is somehow not subject to the old limitations of space, right? He appears in a, he, in a lock, in a room where the doors are closed and he's just there. And we're, we're, given, we're certainly not given the impression he snuck in, right? He's just, he's there. He, uh, uh, he goes ahead of them to Galilee and... And it doesn't seem like he walked there ahead of them or ran ahead of them or went some other way. He's not he's very mysterious. He's not immediately recognizable in some circumstances. 
some situations. And yet, and yet, the resurrection body of Jesus, and think even of Jesus, is the old body made new, isn't it? The tomb of, the tomb of Jesus is empty, and it's really important that it's empty, isn't it? It's, it, it's not like he's not done with that body. It doesn't matter what happened to that body. Jesus got a new one. No, it's the, the new body is the old made new and better than it ever was. And just as the beaten, pierced, crucified body of Jesus, just as it was that body that was raised up in newness of life, transformed, glorified, in the coming resurrection, it's going to be our bodies, these weak, sometimes sick, fading away, these bodies, that so, the same body that someday somebody will lay in the ground. That body is going to be raised up, transformed, glorified. Look at this passage. It's Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that next verse. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Doesn't that say that? It's going to be the old body made new. 1 Corinthians 15, just to show you another verse. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Sown, just like a seed planted in the ground. What is raised is imperishable. It, verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. I'm saying it that way to get you to ask, what's the it? It's the same it on either side of that equation. The it is your body. The same body you see in the mirror each morning. Uh, the same perishable body that is sown in dishonor and weakness is raised up in power and glory never to perish again. You know, the, the cemetery on the church grounds, you don't see it anymore, but the cemetery on the church grounds, like this church, like some previous building, you know, had that cemetery right next to us. You know, we've seen, I've seen, many of you have seen pictures of it. The church, it, was, it says Iroquois Church on the front of it, and it's, uh, it's kind of not, not in this spot, not on this footprint. It was back kind of toward the back parking lot. But it had that cemetery attached to it. It's like it used to have a lot of, right? The churchyard had the cemetery next to it. That made a statement. That made a statement. And, and it's, a, it's kind of a shame. It seems a shame that we've lost that in modern times. Because here's the statement that the cemetery in the shadow of the church steeple makes. God is not done with this body yet. God is not done with this body yet. 
this dear one, this body of this dear one, we lay in the ground. And by the way, which we have, I mean the body itself we have strong attachments to, right? Someone we love. This, that cemetery in the shadow of the, of the church steeple, it says uh, God's not done yet because resurrection is coming. We got it ready for him right here. <laughs> Jesus is coming, and when he does, he's going to transform our lowly bodies, not only these bodies that of the living that are lowly enough, right? But the ones that are even lowlier <laughs> in the cemetery. Now, th- this promise of renew- the renewal of our bodies in resurrection... It's a crucial truth, isn't it? I mean, this isn't just a theory. You know, like Paul said, you know, Christ is not, if there's no resurrection from the dead, even Christ is not raised, and if Christ is not raised, you're still in your sins. You know, it's the most important thing. It's not just a, 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 a minor belief that some Christians have, but there's disagreement on it. No, this resurrection of the body is, is crucial, and it's also wonderful. And, and here at this point, now we're, we're advancing the ball now here. And I, I feel like one of those TV commercials, but I want to say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> I want you to see that, you know, there's resurrection. The hope of resurrection is, it's the essence of, of the Christian faith. It's the essence of Christian hope. But wait, there's more. Because Revelation 21 tells us that in the new heavens and the new earth, in our forever future, it won't be just our bodies that will be made new, renewed, but all things, all things. Behold, he's seated on the throne. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I mean, that's an astounding statement, isn't it? And a wonderful one. Because... What happens to our bodies, the bodies of the redeemed in the forever future, this is the biblical teaching, will also happen to the rest of the created order. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For, it says, next verse, for, that's a, that, that for is explanatory uh, word. It's, uh, it's giving a reason. So we say, why is it, Paul? Okay, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Why is that, Paul? Why is that, Paul? He, he gives the answer. For the creation, and what's the creation? That's the planet you're on right now. That, you know, and the, the, to, for starters, right? For creation, everything else God made. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Well, when did that happen? 
Well, ask Adam. He was there. <laughs> That's when that happened. When Adam fell, the whole creation... This is the biblical teaching. It seems astounding. You, know what I mean? you mean when man fell, something happened to the whole universe? The Bible's answer is yes. It fell under the curse of sin and death. When Adam fell, the creation itself fell. In Genesis 3, it says, you know, when Ad, to Adam, God said, after the sin, to Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. The ground didn't do anything. <laughs> but the, the whole, you know, God subjected the creation to the curse of sin and death because of the sin of Adam. Well, continuing on, verse 20. For the creation was subjected, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, sin and death, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. And it says comma, and we could say, that is, what are we talking about? The redemption of our bodies. You see the symmetry here, don't you? You got to see the symmetry here. When Adam, and this is like, this is like the Bible painting in broad strokes what it's all about. And here's, here's the whole story uh, is summed up. When Adam sinned against God, the whole creation fell under the curse of sin and death. It wasn't just Adam and his descendants who fell under the curse of sin and death. That would be bad enough. But the entire created order, everything fell under this curse of sin and death, which, what's everything? Well, the whole, the, all plant life, all animal life, the physical earth, the whole solar system, the galaxies, everything fell into this unnatural state. It became a place of sin and death and disorder and chaos. You know, it just, it, it, it fell under the curse. And we, in these fallen bodies, are under that, that are under that same curse of sin and death. In these bodies, we groan like a woman in labor, longing for the deliverance that's coming. Right? Boy, I can identify. I groan... You know, sometimes it's absolutely literal. <laughs> Groaning. I can't wait. Can't wait. I so look forward to what this verse says, the redemption of my body. What, what I mean by that? The resurrection. To get that body, transform this body into that body I'm better than I ever had. But certainly not sick and diseased and weak and fading. 
And Paul says here, well, he kind of turns it the other way around, but Paul says, and you know what? The whole creation is groaning in the same way. Same way. Can't wait to be different. It, he's personifying it, of course. You know, I don't think the creation's speaking in the same way. You know, he's a, it's a personification, but the creation is longing too. For what? That's something better. That uh, redemption. That's setting free. Because, what's he say? Because what will happen to our bodies in the resurrection will also happen in the whole creation. That this broken, weak, failing body will one day be transformed by the power of Christ. Right? It's clear. Into the glory, in a glorious body that never gets sick, never die. And in the same way, this, this passage says, this broken sin-infested, sin-marred world is going to be transformed into the world as it was meant to be. It's going to be a glorious testimony to the power, goodness, intelligence, even artistry, and saving work of God. You know, they're bringing about a perfect environment for mankind to live in and serve God forever and ever, and that's what's forever. Now think about this. Now, If you haven't already thought about it, what Revelation 21 and Romans 8 describe is not, believers, think about, I'm talking about forever now, is not believe, believers going off to a far off heaven and wherever that is and living there forever. That's not what these passages are about. It's, it, it, isn't, it, it isn't believers going to a far off heaven and staying there forever and ever. It is heaven coming to earth forever and ever. It isn't us going to where God is and living there forever. It's God coming to where we are and making His dwelling there forever and ever. Revelation 21, what's it say? The holy city descends out of heaven to the earth. And a loud voice from the throne proclaims, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Daniel 2, we won't, we won't go there, we don't have time, but the stone, but just for the, if you know Daniel 2, Daniel chapter 2, the, this great image Nebuchadnezzar represents human government in all its glory, like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Babylon, Medo-Persia, you know, Greece, Rome, world Gentile power. This stone cut without hands comes from heaven, smashes the statue at its feet, and it says, becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. Fills the whole earth. It's not this being destroyed and everyone going off somewhere else. 1 Thessalonians 4. Once again, we won't go there. But, it, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, people say, what? he says, don't worry about believers, your fellow believers who have died. Don't worry about the fellow, your fellow believers who have died. They haven't missed out on anything. It, God will bring with Jesus, when Jesus comes back, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. You know, I read that. You, you remember the passage? Don't worry about, you know, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. What about, what are our dead with the Lord now? Don't worry about them. When Jesus comes back, he's going to bring them back with him. I think, 
Why would God yank them out of heaven itself to come back to this old place? Especially if that's where they're supposed to live forever and ever. You know why? Because this old place won't always be this old place. <laughs> it's going to be transformed into a new earth where God will establish His everlasting kingdom and they shall, this is Revelation 22, and they shall reign forever and ever. And listen, those who die before Jesus comes back, they wouldn't want to miss out on that, and guess what? They won't. John Piper, if you know him, Bethlehem Baptist Church, uh, he says, rightly I think, he says, speaking of Romans 8, what happens to our body, just so you know, it's not just not me. John Piper, what happens to our bodies and what happens to the creation go together. And what happens to our bodies is not annihilation, but redemption. Our bodies will be redeemed, restored, made new, not thrown away. And so it is with the heavens and the earth. Martin Lloyd-Jones, some of you know him, some of us really like him a lot, a great preacher, he's with the Lord now, but this is, this is him, quote, everything will be glorified, even nature itself, and that seems to me, to Martin Lloyd-Jones, to be the biblical teaching about the eternal state that what we call heaven is life in this perfect world as God intended humanity to live it. When he put Adam in paradise at the beginning, Adam fell and all fell with him, but men and women are meant to live in the body and we will live in a glorified body in a glorified world and God will be with them. Close quote. Another one, N.T. Wright, Anglican theologian. He writes of the universal belief of the early church, quote, that history is going somewhere under the guidance of God and that where it was going was toward God's new world of justice, healing, and hope. The transition from the present world to the new one would not be a matter of the destruction of the present space-time universe, but it's radical healing. Or as a virtually unknown, inconsequential pastor theologian in an obscure place, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, puts it, that would be moi, Jesus says, I am making all things new, not all new things. Now, if this seems strange or new, or if you become accustomed to the very, it's a different idea that the Bible doesn't really say much about the new heavens and new earth, but it, we can know this, that it's going to be an entirely new ex nihilo, from nothing creation of God. You may be thinking, 
Well, what about all those verses that speak in the Bible that speak of the destruction of the present earth in very dramatic terms? Well, it's a fair question, and I want to give it a week next week. Uh, we want to consider it in some depth. In what, well, how much depth? One sermon's worth of depth. But because we all have to think through these things, because no matter what your view is, you know, these things fit together, don't they? It's not that one part of the Bible teaches one thing and some other part of the Bible is going to teach something else altogether, right? They go together somehow, right? So we're going to figure that out. But to, just to end today, if it's the way I presented it today, if the present earth is to be renewed, which I think Romans 8, it has to be. If the present earth is to be renewed, just like my body will be renewed, and yours, if you're in Christ, and this is a real, you know, it's a bodily, meaty, real hope. Then what difference does it make? Or is this just some academic kind of curiosity thing? It's like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. You know, it doesn't make any difference at all. I don't know. It's not idle speculation. It's not just a curiosity. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the coming deliverance of the creation from the curse of sin and death is what makes the sufferings of this present world unworthy of comparison. It's, it's what makes it that way. And when we lose that sense of continuity between the old and the new, that redemption is the old made new. Redemption isn't replacement. It's God taking the ruined and messed up and fouled up and hopelessly ruined and making it into something that's holy and good and beautiful. When we lose that sense of continuity... If the forever future, if it's so, it becomes so far removed from life as we know it, so otherworldly that we can't even imagine what it will be like, which is what some people say, it invites all sorts of sub-biblical, sometimes downright unbiblical notions about the hereafter that frankly motivate us negatively rather than positively. In other words, far from being a motivation and a, something that motivates us to live for Christ now, it's, it makes us not want, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a downer. It doesn't seem good. How many Christians in previous generations, I wonder, I don't know, in their heart of hearts weren't all that keen on the idea of sitting around on clouds and playing harps forever and ever. Amen. I wonder how many, and I say previous generations because you don't really run into people that believe that. Any, you know, I, I don't know anybody that, that really thinks, oh, you know, what's, what's, what's the forever future like? Well, we're going to sit around and, on clouds and play harps, you know that. I don't think any, you know, you don't, I don't run into those people. But I will say this, the idea that people become angels when they die is incredibly persistent in our culture. You know, Practically every week, somebody in Oak Ridge dies, if I believe the obituaries. Practically every week in Oak Ridge, somebody dies whose family thinks that their dear one has become an angel. 
God needed another angel. You know what? God made me as a human being, made in his own image. I don't want to be an angel. Especially one of those little chubby naked ones with the little stubby wings. Those aren't really in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> That's a complete fantasy. Somebody's, I don't know who, can you imagine? But listen, I mean, other things, other kind of expectations that are, that are like, that are otherworldly, that are nothing like, you know, nothing like this world, nothing like life as we know it, that God said was good. Nothing like this creation. Like, if, if you're worried about that eternal church service in the sky... That isn't even halfway over when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. If you're worried about that, it's no wonder you live your life as though here and now is where real life is. And you hang on to it, clutching on to it with everything you've got and try to wring every bit of pleasure and happiness you can out of it before being banished to eternal bliss. I think... I think of the, uh, I'm in, oh, I'm, I'm out of time. But the, uh, just indulge me for a minute or two. Think of the Anglican, older Anglican uh, clergyman speaking to a younger one. And the older one, like me, is sick. And the, and the younger one says, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Said, what are we gonna, and he says, what are we going to do if you die? And the older one says, uh, well, I suppose in that case I should enter eternal bliss but I wish you wouldn't bring up such depressing subjects. <laughs> One, I, you know, when we leave this idea of the new heavens and the new earth being, the, being just like resurrection body, the present one renewed, you get, it gets otherworldly and unmotivating. A one solidly mainstream evangelical theologian. Now, I won't use his name. I'll tell you afterwards if you want to know. But it surprised me because he thought this would be someone whose book is on my shelves. He says, while heaven is both a place and a state, by, like state of being, state of being, while heaven is both a place and a state, it is primarily a state. Another mainstream evangelical scholar, he kind of goes even further down that path. He writes this. Paul does not think of heaven as a place, but thinks of it in terms of the presence of God. And I, what? Not a place? Yeah, I read something like that and I think, well, apparently some Christians become Buddhists when they die. Because that view of things owes more to the Eastern, the, you know, Eastern you know, uh, spirituality than it does Christian theology. Not a place. And, and let me just put it this way. I, I talk, Steve, Steve Porter called me uh, yesterday, day before, he, just to talk. He's got, just to talk, catch up with me. And, so just think about this. Would you give your life to serve Christ? Would you give your life to serve Christ as a dentist in impoverished and dangerous Africa because of the promise of entering a state of being forever and ever. That's not even a place. 
And that's your reward? In other, on the other hand, I should end. On the other hand, if you had only known, <laughs> if you had only known that everyone, and you'll, you'll recognize this as, as uh, something Jesus said in the Gospels, if you'd only known that everyone who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, or children, or lands for the name of Christ and the sake of the gospel will receive back a hundredfold? Maybe you would have given your life on the mission field. Maybe you would have served the Lord with more sacrifice than you did. Maybe you would have given up, as Jim Elliott said, that which cannot be kept <laughs> to gain that which, right? I, I, I've lost it now, you know, what, what he said. But, you know, maybe you would have given up the temporary for the eternal. And why? Because the sufferings of this present world and the privations of this present world are unworthy of comparison with the glory that is to be revealed. Because what happens to your body in resurrection is going to happen to the creation when the Lord returns. Well, if you had only known. Well, you, you, know, you do know. Or at least, if you can't wrap your mind around it yet, you're beginning to know. You're beginning to know. Uh, Lord God impress upon us each each person here the reality of the few, the forever future that's coming which can seem to us so unreal so far away so ethereal may the spirit impress upon those outside of Christ the reality of final and eternal judgment that they might be shaken from their spiritual stupor and moved to save themselves from this crooked and perverse generation by resorting to Christ, by believing in Christ, accepting Christ, welcoming Christ into their life, who bore the full weight of divine judgment in our place, and impress upon all who are in Christ the reality, also the glory of our forever future, that we might know from the depths of our being that every sacrifice, every bit of service, every ounce of obedience, Every bit of persecution suffered for the sake of Christ will be richly rewarded beyond all comparison that we might serve you well and joyfully in this fallen and sin-sick world. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.